Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this whilst teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. Great to see you. Many ancient cultures believed that blood carried a person's very life within it. Now, it's not as crazy an idea as it might seem to us, because, of course, people observed that plain reality that when somebody was injured and they bled too much, eventually they died. They ran out of blood and they were dead, so surely the blood contained their life. To associate the blood in our bodies with the very essence of our life is not particularly weird, but it may seem strange to us when we think about blood, because in our scientific age we understand that our blood is made up of red blood cells and white blood cells and platelets and plasma and all kinds of other things. We know that our bodies produce blood, can produce more of it. We can, we can donate blood and our bodies will generate more. We can have blood transfused. We can give it. We don't believe that our personal attributes, our characteristics, our, our personality is contained within our blood. We may well know that our DNA uh, is contained within our blood, but not our personality, not our characteristics and attributes. But in some cultures, ancient and perhaps uh, even contemporary, personal attributes and characteristics are believed to be carried in the blood. Hence, if you want to have the strength of a lion, you'd best drink the blood of a lion. The idea of this is that blood and flesh are precious because they bear our very life force the essence of who we are. They are like the foundation of our being. Now, because blood and flesh are so valuable, because they contain and sustain our life, in ancient cultures, sacrifices were made to the gods, the gods of fertility or war or harvest, so as to feed and sustain the gods. The idea is simple, that you know, just as we need to feed on flesh of animals to eat or live, some of us don't, um, but the idea was that the gods also needed to be fed. They needed the life force that was contained within blood and flesh. And sacrifices are given in the hope that the gods, small g, might look favorably upon us, giving us advantage in war, in procreation, in harvest, in exchange for what we offer them. And yet it's a striking feature of the Old Testament that the Lord, the God of Israel, Yahweh, 
says time and time again, I don't require the flesh of bulls or the blood of goats. I don't need these things. What I want is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. What I want is a sacrifice of justice. God doesn't need us to give him blood and flesh to sustain his life. Rather, he gives to us his own divine life in the flesh and blood of Jesus. Now, this passage that we've just heard from John 6 was used in the early church as a sort of extended Eucharistic reading. That is to say, Jesus' words were recalled and rehearsed in the very celebration of Holy Communion. So as early Christians would gather and uh, share that meal, simple meal of bread and wine, that ritual that Jesus had given them the night before uh, he died, they would also say, oh, do you remember when Jesus said, I am the bread of life? Here he is. Do you remember when he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life? This is what we're doing. First century onlookers used to accuse the first Christians of being cannibals because it was reputed that the Christians ate the flesh and drank the blood of their Lord. How peculiar. But Christians themselves knew how central an act of worship this was. Not that they gave flesh and blood to God, but that God in Christ had given himself to satisfy our hungers and our thirsts. We did not need to offer flesh and blood in sacrifice to God that he might look favorably upon us. God had given him himself in the life of Jesus that he might look favorably upon us. The life in all its fullness that Jesus promises is conveyed to us through Holy Communion. And while avoiding the debates about what actually happens to the bread and the wine that we share, what all Christians believe is that Jesus is really present with us in this simple celebration. That is to say that his life, the eternal life of the Father that he speaks of, the living Father, is shared with us so that we might have life through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And it's a radical different way of life that this opens up for us. The founding mythologies of the civilization of ancient Rome were based upon the idea of blood taken as Romulus murdered Remus. But the city of God, God's eternal kingdom, is founded upon blood given, freely given to us by Jesus in his death and resurrection. And it's that gift of life, that gift of himself, that we're going to celebrate now in a simple Um, a simple uh, celebration of Holy Communion. So would you like to stand? And uh, we're just going to spend a few moments in prayer and uh, sharing bread and wine.